Hi, Poison Pals. Welcome back to That Shit is Poison, your favorite true crime and talks podcast with your host, Harini Bot, And your other host, Megan Gesner. This is a very special recording because once again, Megan and I are in the same room. We're actually sitting cross-legged across each other in my dad's office. He doesn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) With like a very awkward four feet of space between us. We're not sitting next to each other. We're sitting like apart from each other. And we're also faced in different directions. I know. I'm not... I'm not even facing Harini directly. I'm literally like offset. I'm... We just need to take a picture and put it on Instagram. Yeah, we need to make sure. <laughs> I'm facing Megan, but also just like slightly askew. And Megan's facing not at me whatsoever. <laughs> it's all good. She's facing the infamous two cat pictures weighing each other in the scales. It's one of those things where I'm, it's not even like my back isn't to you. Like my yeah. front is facing in your general direction yeah but it's not just it's just not front on i'm just like i couldn't put in the effort to go all, all the way. way i know <laughs> boys pals you you don't get it until we post the picture so we'll do that at some point or we'll make a, a schematic <laughs> of our seating situation <laughs> yeah we should do that <laughs> well megan and i we just hung out for a little bit and then we walked the town originally just going to the beach then we're like let's walk some more let's walk the town and then one thing led to the other and we ended up at this brewery with the shittiest beer ever (laughs) it was one of those things where we it looked so beautiful from the outside and inside and we were just drawn in we're lured in by the luster of it all we both got beers that we knew we didn't like but they had really cool sounding names mine was should i can't remember now it was like um uh spongebob sour pants yes SpongeBob Sour Pants, and I immediately, without knowing it was a sour, which I don't love sour beers, I still got it and sipped on it through the end, the bitter end, literally. Yeah, it was one of those things where we went into this brewery, and as Harini said, like beautiful environment, beautiful atmosphere. I think there was like a little bit of campiness and kitschiness mm-hmm. with like they have a their part of their logo is like this cartoonish monster, and I was like, yeah, take take that shit out. But anyway, <laughs> um, that being said, is one of those things where when you're looking at the menu, like your brain almost subconsciously or my brain subconsciously subconsciously was like, oh, this is these are probably sours given the names yeah. of the drinks. But I was like, no, nah, like I'll just pick what sounds good. Mine was called Mexican candy, which it sounds familiar, good. If you're familiar with a lot of Mexican candy, though, mm-hmm. it tends to have that little bit of sour, just that chamoy, like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so I should have known. <laughs> it was like my brain just, like, was halfway there. Right, right. understanding what I was getting. Dude, it is the worst, <laughs> worst drink I've ever had. We, we drank, I mean, I don't think Megan drank all of hers, but I, I drank through all of mine. Yeah, it did not get better. I was trying to convince my brain that it was going to get better with each sip, and it just wasn't. It was the same thing every single time, lo and behold. <laughs> no, but it was a fun night, nonetheless. But what I was saying is like we watched Loki that night. Megan was like, hey, just, just watch the show. When we tried to watch episode one with just us two, it was the same thing. We, we just ended up, we had it in the background. Like, yeah. it was background yeah, yeah. noise. Dude, that's one thing... Poison Pals, I don't know if you guys do the same thing with your really close friends, but whenever Megan and I get together, we almost always watch a show or a movie or something together, but then we never watch it. We're constantly, it's like literally as soon as we press play, we immediately turn to each other and start talking about something else. (laughs) This is so true. The one exception of that is when we have Keeping Up with the Kardashians on because we actually watch it and talk about the show together. That's true. That's true. That's our one exception. Yeah, we have a running commentary while we watch that show. That is for sure. We just lost like six listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Megan, I don't know if you watch the most recent TikTok that was put up on That Shit Is Poison about the unsolved mysteries that I put up about the blobs coming from the sky. Guys, I am very, very curious. If you guys know more about that story, I really want to know what the heck happened because 
It only happened in one area as far as we know. Just in Oakville, Washington, these mysterious blobs of rain falling from the sky that contains human white blood cells. And then it was just gone. Yeah, dude, that sounds like Watchmen shit. (laughs) Dude, yes. That is true. But then also, I appreciate that our That Shit Is Poison TikTok is just many different things. There's no theme, really. If you you follow us on TikTok, don't be expecting truly poison-related content. Uh, There's... Harini goes hard in some other area. <laughs> I just go wherever my heart takes me. If I find something that's funny, I'm like, I'm going to recreate that. <laughs> it's my playground for sure. But on that topic of TikTok, and then we'll get to the, the poison of it all in a second. And this is, this is actually kind of true crime re- related about haunted shit. So guys, this is something that happened on the podcast I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> like, it was like several episodes ago. But anyways, it was about a haunting in an apartment complex. One of these friends, him and his fiance, or were living in an apartment in San Jose. There was some paranormal activity happening. So I'm going to tell you the part two of that story. So just really quick refresher. There was weird stuff happening in the middle of the night. Pretty much every night at 3 a.m., they would both get woken up. And things would be moving or banging, the usual like creepy ghost shit. So then we're all hanging out together, doing our thing. We're all in the Bay Area together at my parents' house. And Dave's gone for like 20 minutes. Honestly, I was like, he's taking a long ass shit. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. I'm chuckling because in my head, I'm like, what if Dave is literally listening with his ear at the door? I will. I envision him bursting in. What are you talking about, (laughs) Randy? But anyways, finally, he comes down after like 20 minutes, tells my whole family that was my friend who is like living in this apartment in San Jose and some weird stuff was happening in his apartment. And he calls me and he's like, we left our apartment at 4 a.m. Like we packed up all our stuff and we just left. And the reason is this. So they both were about to go to bed. It was like not even that late, maybe like 9, 30, 10 p.m., right? And the guy, he was talking to his mom or his dad on FaceTime. And then all of a sudden, he feels like someone hits him in the back of the head super, super hard. And he's like, what the hell is that? And before he could even like turn around to see what the hell it was, he also feels like a huge like slap on his shoulder and burning (laughs) sensation. So then he asked his fiance to be like, hey, can you turn on the light and see what the hell that was? So she uses her iPhone flashlight to look at what's going on. And when she pulls up his shirt, he has three almost like finger marks on the back of his shoulder. And as she's looking at it, all the stuff on their bedside night table just like slams to the ground and the doors opens. <laughs> so as soon as they heard that, they're like, we need to get the hell out of here right now. So they literally pack up all their shit and they just leave. They stay in a hotel. They will not go back to their apartment. I mean, I wouldn't go back to my apartment. The next time they went was during the day with movers and they signed a lease for a new place like in two days. I don't remember Poison Palace if I already told you like the origins behind this. So they do some digging and they find out that the person in the apartment next to them was murdered and was found in the trunk of a car or like somewhere in that apartment complex. There is some something in the story about how the person, either the person who perpetrated, like who who committed the murder was a police officer or someone in law enforcement or the person who was killed was in law enforcement. So what Megan and I were talking about, because it didn't sit right with me that you're getting haunted when the incident happened next door. Like, why would you get haunted in the neighboring apartment? You know what I'm saying? So then Megan and I were talking about it. And our theory is that the person, whoever is haunting our friend's apartment So if there's apartment A and apartment B, our friends are living in apartment B, the murder has happened in apartment A. So Megan and I think that whoever murdered said person in apartment A lived in apartment B. And that is why that apartment is getting haunted. There's no basis in this whatsoever. (laughs) I know. I'm waiting for you to go back up to the bay just to do a little investigation with your, like a handheld camera. Completely. And then just 
It's a Blair Witch Trial project. You can't see anything. I should have made this disclaimer at the beginning when we started, but I, Megan, am actually kind of sick right now. So I'm super congested and I have a runny nose and I'm coughing a lot. So one, if you're coughing in Harini's audio or even in mine, I apologize, but we'll try our best to keep that <laughs> to a minimum. Yeah. Two, I paused so I could grab some tissue from Harini's bathroom next door and I'm chuckling to myself because for some reason... I think Harini's house has leveled in some way where there's a slant. Oh, there and is. So I, so I, I went to your bathroom yeah. just now to grab some toilet paper. Yeah. And the door to the bathroom, I didn't like close it. Yeah, yeah. But as I turn towards the towards to look back at the door, it's like slowly closing. <gasps> oh yeah, 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 itself, right? yeah. And and I'm chuckling because I'm like, we just talked about ghosts. But, <laughs> so, I'm, but in my head, I'm like, you know, I've seen this before, like rationally. <laughs> I think her house has like some leveling yeah, issue yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was another thing. Yeah, that that's one thing I do not like about my bathroom is the door always like slowly closes yeah. all the way, which is like fine. <laughs> I will say like it closes in a way where it's slow enough that it seems eerie. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eerie. yeah like, it doesn't so like just it. like it doesn't like close fast in a way where you know like oh this this something's wrong with the hinge or something yeah. like the mm-hmm. the slant. I'm sure if you rolled a pencil on your hardwood floor, yeah, it would go. just slowly <laughs> crawl across the floor. I didn't even think about that. But I think now that you're saying it, this house is like a fun house. <laughs> That's so funny. Megan, um, are we ready for you? We are ready. I'm ready to go. Okay, boys and pals, we haven't said this in a while. So why don't you sit down with a nice beverage or not? Are you folding your laundry? Are you running? Are you taking a hike? Are you in Hawaii? Are you on a trip? Take us with you. <laughs> Anywhere but here. <laughs> I'm laughing because I wish you kept going and I wish your tone got more and more accusatory. Like, are you going shopping right now? Are you doing this? Are you doing this? <laughs> Whatever you're doing, great. stop playing another podcast that's probably more popular than us and play us. Because <laughs> Megan's about to regale us with another episode. Yes, I am. Poison. So, Megan, why don't you pick your poison? All right. So, today, poison is going to be cantharidin. Mm. I I said that really chopped up, but I think if you say it smoothly, cantharidin, spelled C A N T H A R I D I N, and you will see that on the podcast episode description. But what it is more commonly and infamously known as is Spanish fly. Oh, lordy. Do you know this? Were you going to do a story on this? No, no, no. But whenever I think of Spanish fly, unfortunately, I think of Mr. Cosby. Yes. What I did find out as my research, because I actually never watched the Cosby show. Really? No. So my relationship with knowing Bill Cosby as a celebrity is strictly around the the spanish fly no no oh, sorry <laughs> around his uh, the the his abuse the, oh yes the yes, yes yes and all that i guess it's a little bit topical because yeah he just, just released him yeah they just released him well i i mean i i was gonna say i find this really fascinating because i have not i've yet to find someone else within my friend group who has grown up watching the cosby show i feel like i'm the only person i know that has watched it. No one can relate with me. <laughs> I don't know why. I feel like it was like something that would occasionally be on our TV, but like I just didn't pay attention. Did you watch Fresh Prince? Yes. Okay. I feel like you kind of watched either or at that time because they kind of came on around the same time or, or airing around the same time. Or like overlapped. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, overlapped. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anyways. So, so anyways, doing my research. Sure. I, uh, because of what you said. Yeah. I was like, oh, if you go on Wikipedia or something, they're like, Spanish fly is referenced in, like, the Bill Cosby stand-up special or some nonsense. Oh, um, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just ignore that. Yeah. About that. <laughs> so let me start with my sources. I got my information from predominantly journals today, which mm, is great. I was good job, I got it from JAMA Dermatology. I'm not sure what JAMA stands for. That's definitely an acronym. Journal... But- uh, American <laughs> Medical Association. Oh, yeah, you might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I just pulled that out of my ass. I think that's a very But I think it's a good guess. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to assume that's right. So JAMA Dermatology. Okay. Um, 
the MDPI, which is Multidisciplinary Digital Publishing Institute, European Journal of Molecular and Clinical Medicine, Acta Medica Portuguesa, Clinical <laughs> Kidney Journal, and Wikipedia. Nice. Nice. All right. So my format today is going to be, I think, different from how I usually do it, but we're just going to talk about the poison because there's that. actually not a story. Yeah. There are little anecdotes mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. how the poison has been used that I'll share. But um, yeah, we're just going to talk about what Spanish fly is like and that. its history. Sure. Okay. So first and foremost, we'll start with toxicology. And I'm actually going to use the sci- more scientific name for it, cantharidin. Cantharidin is, it's an organic material. It's a terpenoid, which another word that's almost synonymous with terpenoid are terpenes. Okay. So yeah. like in the same kind of uh, category as like menthol would be, sure. you know, that sort of thing. But the reason why it's given the nickname Spanish fly is because it is produced by a specific species or family of beetle, which that's like Spanish fly is definitely a mis- misnomer. Yeah. Because... They're not flies at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're beetles. But basically, cantharidin, the name itself is derived from the Greek word cantharis, which means beetle. And it's a toxic fatty terpenoid that is secreted by beetles of the Melodae family, Meloidae family. And the Spanish fly, which is specifically this particular beetle's family, uh, genus and species, uh, the cantharis vesicatoria, is the best known species. And that's why this terp- terpenoid slash toxin is named Spanish fly, because that's the most commonly known one. These beetles are also called blister beetles mm-hmm. for good reason, yeah. because while cantharidin is toxic, it's also a, what's the word for it? I learned a lot of, I learned a lot of terms yeah, when, when I'm looking this up, yeah. which I find really interesting. Okay, so it's, it's a toxin, but it's also well known for being a vesicant, which means that it causes blistering. Yeah. So that is a, if you want to add a new word to your vocabulary, vesicant mm-hmm. is anything that might cause blistering on or within the body. Yeah. Okay. So I'll say before I go further into just describing this, looking up this toxin, I think it's the first toxin that we've talked about that causes something other than like asphyxiation mm, or like, yeah, you know true. what I mean? Like, I think a lot of our poisons end up having some sort of impact on someone's respiratory system. Yeah. But this one, this one doesn't have a nervous system component or anything like that. This one is like, it's more physical. I don't know how to yeah. explain it. It's like a yeah. physical thing, but specifically with the blistering aspect. So like right. topically, if you mm-hmm. got it on your skin, depending on how much is exposed to your skin, you could get harsh burns and blisters. Mm-hmm. What often happens is it, it gets ingested in contemporary time accidentally by like kids or someone who's dumb and like eats a, eats a beetle for a dare or something, sure. you know what I mean? And well, and I'll go into why that happens or what happens when, when you ingest it. But um, historically, what makes cantharidin infamous or Spanish fly infamous is because it's been used as an aphrodisiac. Quote, yeah. Quote, an aphrodisiac. And that's probably what the joke was in yeah. Bill Cosby's Ugh, thing. Yeah. Ugh, gross. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Sidebar. There might be some retching noises made throughout this. Why? Because because at the end of my uh, introducing this poison and talking about its history and stuff, yeah. we will make a cocktail <laughs> that is named after the Spanish fly. Uh, and when we get there, I'll, I'll tell you the ingredients. But reading the ingredients... For myself, I was like, <laughs> really? Like, <laughs> and me and Dave are gonna be the guinea pigs. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna make Harini and Dave drink it for my pleasure. <laughs> okay, so anyways, where was I? Uh, okay, so we talked about its blistering aspect. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about the beetles, <laughs> the, be- the blister beetles first, because <laughs> it's like kind of fun. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, learn about where it comes from or whatever. Yeah, I love this they, stuff. They don't. They, when I say though, they, I'm talking about people who research insects, right? Sure. <laughs> Scientists. What is that? Scientists. Entomologists? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Right? Nice. Got it in your brain. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I surprise myself. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, they, entomologists, mm. uh, they don't know why this 
or how this beetle produces this terpenoid. Um, they are like, I guess, still in the process of studying that, but it's not as apparent as like the Cambo stuff. Right, I mean, right, right. Now that, I, now that I look back on it, though, I'm like, did I even look into like how the frogs create that secretion? Oh, I don't think we but talked about that. No, probably, probably not. So who knows? Maybe they don't know like why. Yeah. That is the case for those frogs. But they but what I read about these blister beetles, they're not sure why this particular species is capable of creating these terpenoids in their okay. system. What they do know is that very obviously I mean I think it's obvious, but they produce this the cantharidin as a mechanism of defense. It is produced only by the male beetles. But mm, what happens is the <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> okay. So the, Spoke too the, soon. <laughs> the male beetles, when they find a female beetle and they copulate, they give the cantharidin to the female beetle as like a, they call it a nuptial gift mm-hmm. when they mate. So he passes off this, this toxin to her and then she takes that and she puts it over her eggs to protect them. And oh. for the female beetle, the, the amount that he gives her or whatever how much he offers her is a sign of like reproductive strength wow. like it's, yeah, it's yeah. like the male's way of being like i'm the dominant guy yeah totally here. interesting and so yeah so i thought that was pretty interesting that's that so only interesting. males have it i love <laughs> yeah, yeah. that among this whole family of beetles they can have up to 0.2 to 0.7 milligrams of cantharidin in their system but it depends on the species of okay. the beetle and these beetles are found worldwide they're in the really? u.s they're in europe they're in asia what? they're everywhere mm-hmm. they might like we might have seen one and never known it when we venture outside they're gonna be all over us <laughs> i know like now that we know they exist yeah. we're like that's that's a blister beetle wait yeah okay keep going because i'm gonna look it up i've never seen what they look yeah. like some of them are friggin' ugly. Like, I can show you this one from this uh, journal that I'm going to read from. This photo, I actually quite enjoy insects, but this particular photo of this particular blister beetle is gross to me because its thorax is so massive and, oh my god, and gross. <laughs> but here you go. Oh my god, it looks like a grasshopper, sort of. Okay, there are some pictures, because Megan's right. If you look up blister beetle, there are many different styles and flavors for lack of a better word but one of them that i'm looking at right now it kind of looks like a stink bug oh really show me do you think they're stink bugs like the ones that are all black right does that is that have we just been like misidentifying like the local california stink bug that's That's what i'm thinking if they're yeah if they're found all over what if it's just that Dude, let's just Google it right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We have the answer. We have laptops. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I am. All right. That was a lot. Okay. I just typed in stink bug. I have clearly been misidentifying stink bugs because this is not anything that you just showed me. That's not. Okay. We, we both did the wrong thing. We did the wrong thing because Meg and I both looked at the same image and we're like, yeah, that's a stink bug. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what black beetle you're talking about. Yeah. Was, I just looked up what a real stink bug looks like and it's totally a different beetle, not black at all. So, okay. <laughs> let's we go. Got? Okay. We'll, we'll figure this out later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so that's a little bit about the beetles. Let's go back to cantharidin. Once it's excreted by the beetle, it is an odorless and colorless toxin, as Mm. most are. It does, I don't know, it crystallizes, I guess, when it gets laid over the eggs, but it has a crystal form. Um, It's a fatty terpenoid, so that makes it relatively insoluble in Mm -hmm. water, Mm -hmm. but it is soluble in chloroform, acetone, (laughs) ether, and fixed oils. Why are those the... Choices of solutions that they decide to list. I don't want to know why. (laughs) Like, don't encourage people. God. Oh, I just thought of someone very Scooby-Doo, like putting chloroform in a handkerchief or something, and then also putting Spanish fly, and then you're putting that over your face. That'd be fucked up. That'd be fucked up. You'll be blistered. (laughs) I actually thought about that when I when I read like what it's soluble in. And I read chloroform as the first word. I was like, someone's going to like try to make like smother someone's mouth. 
Oh. But like, okay, well, what would be the point though? Okay, if you're really thinking about it, like, yeah. what would be the point of like making someone pass out, <laughs> but then also trying to get their face to blister? Like, that's like kicking someone when they're down. Like, come on. Because I don't think externally, this is like a spoiler alert, but externally, <laughs> I don't think you could die from external cantharidin on yeah. your face. Like, I, a lot of the lethalness is when it's ingested, of course. Right. So I'm like, if it's on your face, you're not really poisoning the person. You're just like causing <laughs> vicious harm to them. Yeah. In, in an external sense. Yeah, there's, there's no need for that. <laughs> there's yeah. no need. We'll talk about what happens when you maybe accidentally ingest cantharidin, okay? Sure. Here are the symptoms, and then we'll talk about the mode of action and what it actually does inside your body and why and all that. All right, so some of the symptoms that happen when you ingest um, cantharidin, whether it's a lethal dose amount or not, which by the way, the LD50 is around 0.5 milligrams per kilogram. Yeah, it's a dose of as little as 10 milligrams could potentially be fatal. Wow, okay. I did not know Spanish fly could kill you. Yes, but it's it's one of those things where we have the medicine and the medical Mm -hmm. improvements and all that that can totally prevent death if you ingest it but it all depends on like when you get that care right totally so one of uh here's the list of symptoms so remember it's a vesicant which Mm -hmm. means blistering yeah this is going to be a little uncomfortable so brace up so if you eat cantharidin first thing that'll happen is it hits your stomach and you're going to get some gastrointestinal bleeding and if it's enough it could probably blister your lining of your gastrointestinal tract to a point where like internal hemorrhaging can happen and like like you know how if you had any sort of education about the human physiology how like your gastrointestinal tract is just like a tube and your body is like a cavity right and nothing from that that goes in that tube should ever exit into the cavity of your body well cantharidin can cause holes (laughs) and and like bleeding from your gastrointestinal tract can go into the cavity of your body oh that's horrible where it's just like empty air that's really 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 dangerous so that's not good another thing that can happen um is renal dysfunction and dysuria which is painful or difficult urination another word that i thought was like i'm learning medical terms (laughs) painful or difficult urination just to get ahead of the game cantharidin will mostly impact your renal tract and your gastrointestinal Mm -hmm. tract because your body just the way cantharidin works your body is very good at picking it up and trying to expel it but because it does that so quickly your renal system is going to get fucked the most yeah so other things that can happen are abdominal swelling and pain, of course. Um, you can get a fever, but because it impacts your renal area and ultimately your lower abdomen and ultimately your genitalia area, yeah. you can get genitourinary mucosal irritation Ugh. and bleeding. Yeah. You can get gross hematuria with clocks. So what that means, hematuria, another fancy <laughs> medical word, is blood in your pee Mm -hmm. and there's one journal that i read from uh that i'll go into a bit but basically like he had such gross hematuria blood in his pee that it was like clots coming out his my god urinary tract i'm not a dude yeah and as a woman i'm like i get clots (laughs) a lot but i can't imagine for a man um, or someone who is born with penis yeah whatever like that would be terrifying to see like that's horrifying come out so Ugh. sorry this we should put a disclaimer yeah. but, like like there's gonna be some graphic descriptions yeah the other thing that happens and this is going to tie into cantharidin as its history as being used as an aphrodisiac is that it can cause vascular congestion congestion of the genitourinary system in women so mm-hmm. if you're a woman or have a you know female sex organs your vascular system yeah. down there mm-hmm gets swollen Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. that also happens to men and so Mm. a symptom of this is priapism 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 
I don't, yeah, it's either priapism or priapism, but anyway, it causes priapism in men, which is the fancy word for saying prolonged erection of the penis. Mm -hmm. And that's, and I put a note because it's what I read, prolonged erection of the penis dash usually painful. Okay, yeah. so this is important. This is yeah. important because in its history, like dating way back to like even the Grecian times, like right. ancient Grecian times, this particular toxin was used as an aphrodisiac because it had that effect of swelling your genitals. Mm -hmm. But what they didn't understand at the time, I don't think they had the, maybe the knowledge per se to understand that yeah. just because your penis is erect or your vagine is like blowing up <laughs> that it's tied to actual sexual desire. So uh, they would use it as an aphrodisiac thinking that it would increase libido yeah. or whatever. But it's like, no, this is why a lot of people would die yeah. using it as an aphrodisiac oh, because they would ingest it and they're like, no, my penis is huge, but I'm bleeding out my dick a lot. <laughs> like, okay. Side note. When I looked at the term priapism, because, you know, when you hear about prolonged erections or whatever, that's like the terms that I use. You know, maybe he took Viagra yeah. or something and it's just like something went wrong. Yeah. So I didn't really know what priapism meant, so I Googled, Googled it. Oh, Y'all. Boys and pals, I, I urge you, I urge you right now as you're listening, take your phone, your laptop or whatever, and just Google search priapism. You could just stop there or Wikipedia Google search priapism. The photo for it is hilarious. Wait, why? And okay. I'm not saying that meanly because it's, it's the Wikipedia photo for it. You don't have to like go into Wikipedia. It's, it's a painting. It's like a painting from <laughs> ancient times. And I'm not saying like, oh, it's hilarious that someone's suffering. No, it's like it's, it's a painting, so it's not a real person. But the... <laughs> disproportionate largeness of the penis in that picture is hilarious <laughs> okay um yes okay there's two actually so i'm seeing this <laughs> guys we'll try to put up this picture we might get flagged by instagram if we put this picture up but it's like an old like grecian style painting of a man and <clears throat> his penis looks like a what do you call it like the balloon animals and it's being held up by strings. <laughs> we kid you not. But then there's also this that I saw. Oh, I love like ancient mural, like ancient art, especially about like um, sex and stuff, because their depictions of genitals is just so proportionately wrong. <laughs> It's like their way of storytelling. They clearly knew, okay, this person never really had a penis that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to emphasize... They're painting it how it feels. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Oh, man. It is, it is silly. It is so silly. Anyways, so I thought that was a funny thing. But yes, that history of it being used in aphrodisiac... Okay, so first off, there is a history of cantharidin being used medically going back like 2,000 years from JAMA Dermatology yeah. article, it reads, beginning in Asia, topical preparations were historically used to treat ulcers, hemorrhoids, boils, while oral forms were prescribed for rabies, abdominal masses, and even as an, an abortificient. Oh. So like something that could help abort right. fetuses. Yeah. Which is really fascinating because it's like, it's one of those things where the chemical itself causes blisters or potentially ulcers and stuff, but because of the mechanism of the toxin, which I'll get into, it makes sense that they would still use mm. it for those things. Okay. Like in the 20th century alone, it's been used as a treatment for the inflammation of your, like your outer lungs, arthritis, and also smallpox. To this day though, like contemporary medicine, it's been limited to the use of just topical treatment of warts and mollus molluscum, which is like, a skin condition where I'm assuming it makes you look like mollusks or something. <laughs> like little mo you like yeah, have like, little mollusks on your yeah. Like, mo like barnacle type things. Right. Yeah. Basically warts. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Skin protrusions. Yeah. And despite being widely used by dermatologists and emergency personnel for those things, mm -hmm. specifically the warts and things like that, it's never been and is not currently FDA approved. Yeah. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing though. Remember when we talked with Allie mm -hmm. about 
what the FDA approves and does not approve. Right. When I first read that, I was like, oh, of course the FDA does not approve the use of cantharidin in medicine because it seems dangerous. Right. And I was like, but I was like, the FDA doesn't approve good things too. Yeah. So like, why is that even important? Like, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, There's no rhyme or reason to be quite right. honest. Right, right. So anyway, so that's the medical history. But the reason why cantharidin, specifically Spanish fly, because that's the term that it was called back, since back yeah. in like ancient mm-hmm. times, is famous is because of its use or misuse as an aphrodisiac. I'm just going to read a history of famous moments where it's been used as an aphrodisiac. This is still from the JAMA Network article. Written accounts of cantharidin as a sexual stimulant reach back to ancient Rome, where Livia, wife of Augustus Caesar, used cantharidin against political rivals in the hope that it would drive them to commit sexual indecencies, (laughs) which she could later use as blackmail. Damn, girl. I'm I'm like, Livia... You're thinking too hard about this. Yeah. You want them to do sexual indecencies? No, like you're you're poisoning them. Like that's yeah. enough. Like, yeah. Yeah. like because again, it was this misunderstanding that like oh because it would cause their genitals to swell, thus their libido will go up. Right. It's like no, or that they're, they're aroused dying. or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. they're dying. They're, they're dying on the inside. So that makes me chuckle because she put it in their food or whatever, not to poison them but yeah. to cause them to make do an action and i'm like well you did the the first step is enough yeah <laughs> yeah anyway little did you know other high profile examples include the german emperor king henry the fourth and the french writer marquis de sade so the de sade he was sentenced to death for the non-lethal poisoning of two prostitutes oh. with cantharidin laced candies okay I looked into this Marquis de Sade guy. Yeah. He is actually very famous. If you're into French history, you yeah. probably have read about him. His name, de Sade, S-A-D-E, that's where the term sadism, sadism. comes in. Sadism. Yeah. He's famous because he was a huge libertine yeah. during that time. And he was like all about hedonism and sexual wow. freedom to a point of violence during yeah. sex. And yeah. that's where hit, that's why his name is used for the term sadism. That is so, in, like, I was going to say cool. Like, that's not the right term, but I love origin stories. So that's very, yeah, yeah. that's very interesting. When I say, isn't that fun? I'm talking about, that's a fun fact. Yeah, it's a fun <laughs> fact. It's a dinner yeah. party trivia fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess he got mixed up with the cantharidin and definitely tried to poison two prostitutes but his intention but i'm not saying that his intentions are good like yeah yeah, yeah. his intention behind giving them these cantharidin laced candies is so that the prostitutes would be aroused yeah but i'm like no bitch (laughs) they're dying (laughs) i can't believe that had such weight across the world where it was this common i mean even today like i think when people hear a spanish fly they think of it as like this intense aphrodisiac. Let's see. As recently as 1996, four young adults were hospitalized after drinking Kool-Aid tainted with Spanish fly. Don't drink the fucking Kool-Aid, guys. Mm. One of the victims had intentionally added it to test its effects before using it with his girlfriend, which no, is fucked up. Don't do that. That is fucked up. Don't, don't, guys. <laughs> Don't poison your friends. <laughs> I should go without saying. And just also like, obviously what we don't know, given that brief thing is like, like, was there a consent there? Probably no, not. absolutely not. <laughs> like, was he like, hey, girlfriend, I'm really interested to see if this works. So I'm going to put it in our Kool-Aid and we'll all do it together. But it's like, I highly doubt that conversation happened. So anyways, a good history of it being misused as an aphrodisiac. Okay, this is actually... I'm going to use the term fun because I thought it was fun. There, one of the articles that I got my information from, oh man, it is the cheekiest article like that is in like a peer-reviewed journal. Wow. But here's the title. You ready for the yeah, title ready. of this article? This was published in 2013 and the title goes, Acute Kidney Injury by Cantharidin Poisoning Following a Silly Bet on an Ugly Beetle. <laughs> And it's, it's totally, it's totally tongue in cheek. This is the clinical kidney journal, peer reviewed kidney <laughs> journal. Um, and it goes, we present the case of a reckless 23 year old soldier who accepted a challenge of eating a beetle. Oh God. <laughs> and then the photo that I originally showed you, yeah, of that is a beetle that. with the giant, <laughs> the giant thorax under that it, it's like a figure and it has like the caption for that, that photo. Yeah. It says, 
Berberomello Majalis, which is the Beatles' scientific yeah. name, and it goes dash, should be firmly considered as not edible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, these people are having so much fun. Yeah, right? I know it sounds like not that funny, but like knowing that this is a pure I know. science journal, I'm like, these people were being catty. That, this is this so shit. cheeky. I love it. <laughs> cheeky, cheeky. But in terms of the story about this uh, soldier, uh, the case report reads, a healthy 23-year-old male soldier spent three days in a military training camp, a drill unwisely comprising of water restriction and hard physical exercise. By 5 p.m. of the third day, in a bet with fellow soldiers, he chewed and swallowed a beetle, yeah. the Berberomelomajalis beetle. Within 15 minutes, his mouth burned. Oh, it's fast. And I'll get to that later. He retched, vomited, complained of diffused abdominal pain, dysuria, which is difficulty urinating, and gross hematuria with clots. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the person mm-hmm. with clots. Oh, that's so scary. By 11 p.m., he was admitted to the emergency room of a district of a district hospital. He was conscious with normal breathing, dehydrated, hypotensive, mildly tachycardic, mm-hmm. and, and febrile. A febrile? That means there's no fever. A uh, febrile. Oh, he's so febrile, he so he has mm-hmm. a fever. Yeah. And so that's pretty much that. But, like, oh. I had a good time reading something yeah. like... They're like, this guy was an idiot. Dude, <laughs> like reading between the lines. I feel for that ER doc that had to admit this fool, but I cannot believe that all happened from just one beetle. That's pretty intense. They can range from having 0.2 milligrams to 0.7 milligrams yeah. in a beetle, and the lethal dose is 0.5 milligrams per kilogram. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's going to do you. So going to the onset, how quickly it yeah. operates... Symptoms of cantharidin intoxication typically begin with, within two to four hours of ingestion, but delays of 10 minutes to 14 hours have been described. So it can, it's a huge window. You yeah. can get it, start feeling it within 10 minutes or not until much later. And I guess it depends. Probably it's the same as alcohol, like what foods in your stomach, you know, yeah. how much water is in your body, etc. Okay. Before we get to the antidote, I swear I'm almost done. Let's talk about its mechanism of action. Yes, yes. So cantharidin, once you ingest it, it causes acantholysis. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds a big word, but what that word means is loss of intercellular connections. What that means, okay, because it's a blistering agent, <clears throat> mm-hmm. what that means is basically as a terpenoid, once it's absorbed by the lipid membranes of your epidermal cells. So mm-hmm. poison pals, look at the back of your hand and... Your skin you're looking at, that's epidermal cells, okay? If you had this cantharidin to drop on the back of your hand, it's going to be absorbed by your epidermal cells. And because it is a fatty terpenoid, it's going to penetrate your lipid membranes Mm -hmm. pretty easily. When it penetrates your lipid membranes of your epidermal cells, this causes the release of what's called serine proteasis. Yeah, serine proteases, yeah. Yeah, serine pro- thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which are enzymes that break the peptide bonds in proteins. Mm-hmm. So this leads to the disintegration of unique epidermal structures that hold the cells together. Yeah. So to put that very basically, the cantharidin hits your skin, it is absorbed into your cell structure, and it basically causes your cell structure to break apart. There's a specific thing in your cell that attaches your cells together, Mm -hmm. like a- Adhesions and stuff. Adhesion. And so it disintegrates that structure in the cell, causing your cells to literally break apart Mm -hmm. from each other. Mm -hmm. And that causes blistering. Gosh. Uh, Yeah. And so remember how I talked about how it was used clinically for warts? It makes sense that you would use it on a wart because you want to literally detach the wart from your skin. Yeah. So if you put a little bit of the cantharidin right between your natural epidermal skin and the wart, the intrusive mm-hmm. wart, it's going to disintegrate those cell connections. And so your wart will fall off. So that's that. Wow, 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 wow. Is there an antidote for this? According to that article about the 23 year old eating the beetle there is no specific antidote for cantharidin 
the management is supportive, including an IV fluid at maintenance rate. Because remember, it impacts your renal and gastrointestinal yeah. system. So because it impacts your kidneys so severely and your urinary tract so severely, it's whatever the antidote is, it's going to be whatever combats kidney failure yeah. in medicine. Yeah. So that's why you would have like a lot of IV fluid going through your body just to soothe the damage and try to flush it out as soon as possible. Yeah. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much wow. it. That is very interesting. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, this one was funky. This was, this was, I like this, though. I like how we kind of like jumped around in history and told little <laughs> stories here and there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Like how longstanding of a common notion mm-hmm. that is absolutely false. Yeah, yeah. Of this aphrodisiac. It's just not. Yeah. Wow. And um, to the fact that, you know, I gave that example of in 1996, someone thought that right was exactly. still an aphrodisiac i mean at the time they didn't have internet yeah well i mean to be honest i've never looked it up so i always thought the same thing yeah and i feel like we're myth busting right now <laughs> we are myth busting so You're spanish myth-busting. fly yeah it's if you i get why people use the term aphrodisiac to describe it because even in some of the clinical journals they say it's been used as an aphrodisiac but what's important there is it's like it's been missed yes yes Correct. Or misinterpreted as that. Yeah, so it's kind of like a scary concept to think like, okay, back in the day, there were probably some parties who were consensually being yeah. like, oh, take a little bit of this, yeah. take a little bit of Spanish fly. Yeah, totally. Maybe the people that were successful with it, like literally microdose. Yeah. But I'm sure they were probably like, I kind of am in a little bit of pain. Like, come <laughs> like, on. That's nuts to me. Like, that just sounds like very very painful the whole situation from start to finish like you're basically burning your insides yes that's what it is you are literally burning your insides or or now knowing the mechanism of action you're literally like breaking apart your cell structures you're disintegrating your cells from like your mouth from where you've ingested it all the way to literally like your ass (laughs) yes this is true dude i've had a kidney stone which was painful dude Which made me think anything with the, kid, the renal system is going to be painful as hell. Yes. I cannot imagine that your insides are burning and it's oh coming God. out through your urinary tract. That's, That's the, the freaking worst. Wait, now this is off topic, but Megan, did you pass a stone? I did. The Okay, by the time I finally was in an emergency room and had an IV, yeah. I think I had passed the stone unknowingly. Oh my God. And... And knowingly, because the doctor talked to me about it, and she she was like, sometimes you won't know, actually, when it comes out, because by the point of its exit, it might have crumbled down into, like, the mm. tiniest pieces. But then, this is the scary part about kidney stones, because I did look it up later that apparently on, like, the pain scale, there's a special word for yeah. like, the universal pain scale. Yeah. They say that a kidney stone is the second most painful thing after childbirth yeah Yeah. and it's the third most painful thing is like a a sting by a certain type of beetle whoa god (laughs) okay we need to do that for the next episode we need to all be prepared for that beetle (laughs) but where where i'm going with this is that the doctor said this is what was scary to me about kidney stones is she's like yeah oftentimes when you pass a kidney stone you don't notice it because it's actually quite small Mm -hmm. and in my head i was like i was in so much pain thinking that a fucking brick is going through my system. (gasps) But the fact that I peed it out and didn't even know that something so teeny tiny could cause me so much pain is terrifying. No, completely. Can you imagine? Like, uh, yeah, no, no, no. No, I only asked because my dad also had a kidney stone and he describes it as the most pain he's ever been in in his life. And they gave him, and I was curious, did they give you pain medication? Like they give you like opiates for that? Because I think the way that I remember it, Megan basically toughed it out, <laughs> toughed it out. I don't know if you knew you were having kidney stone at the time. I think you just felt like you were in a lot of pain for whatever reason. And only at the very end, you're like, okay, maybe I should go to the hospital. Oh, yeah. No. So here's my story. I actually love telling this yeah. story because I think it really helped me grow as a person <laughs> in terms of medical emergencies. But yeah, I didn't know I was having a kidney stone, but I knew immediately something was wrong. I remember I actually had a fight with my then boyfriend mm-hmm. at the time. Not fight, but like, it wasn't a fight, but I was like, a we were definitely annoyed with each other. Yeah. yeah. And I remember walking to like the local Starbucks that was really close by, get on my breakfast and just like, get more fucking dehydrated. <laughs> yes. Unknowingly. <laughs> and 
I, I don't think I was sitting there for more than 10 or 15 minutes that I just felt uncomfortable. I was like, something doesn't feel right. My body feels wrong. It yeah. wasn't painful yet, but my body feels wrong. Right. And then, then I was like, I feel sick. And like, I tried to vomit at the Starbucks. You were feeling nauseous? I was feeling nauseous. And then I called my boyfriend at the time and I was like, hey, I don't feel good. Like I actually knew immediately something was wrong. Yeah. I was like, I don't feel good, I think. I need to go to the hospital. I can't walk back to your apartment, which was literally like a 10 minute walk away. I was like, I can't walk right now. Like something's wrong. And you're still in the Starbucks. I'm still at the Starbucks. So then uh, he comes and picks me up and I'm under Kaiser Permanente Mm -hmm. and how it works probably in a lot of areas, but in San Diego, there's only certain Kaiser facilities that have emergency rooms. And I didn't know that at the time because I think I was 20 yeah, you know, or 21 or something. And so, um, again, first kidney stone, so I wouldn't know what it feels like. But he picks me up and we're driving, and that's when it starts passing or, you know, going through my system. Yeah. What we know about kidney stones is that it's a – depending on which side it is on your kidney, right, where it's, where it's going through mm-hmm. – you get a radiating pain from your front to your lower back. And radiating pain means like it feels like it just is moving back and forth and it comes in waves. And it comes in waves because it only feels painful when it starts to inch a little further through your urinary, Uh, um, through your your kidneys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you guys know, like if you, again, if you studied the human anatomy at some point, you look at a cross section of your kidneys and the whole fucking nephrons and glomerulus yeah <laughs> literally the tiniest little tubules yeah so tiny hair that thin. are tinier than your urinary tract yeah too yeah. right the urinary tract is when it's easy but when it's going through your friggin nephrons like holy shit so the pain feels like your insides are exploding oh my god <laughs> that's how i felt it was and i know there are people out in the world who have chronic kidney stones so me ex- are you serious that's a thing, chronic kidney stones. Oh my god, those poor, poor angels. <laughs> so I feel the same way. Like when I hear that, I'm like, how do you do it? But I feel that on some level it's it's probably yes, still painful, but people with chronic kidney stones are probably like, I'm just so fucking used Dude, to it. Dude, that's not something to get used to. You can you deserve better in life. Chronic, I think, means like you get it obviously more often than you should but yeah. it's like maybe like two times a year no, you know that's too, which too many. i think to my head is too <laughs> yeah many. yeah i yeah. think it's too many so anyways as a first time person getting it i just thought it was the most incredibly painful thing i've ever gone through and yes. long story short we went to the regular medical offices first and could not be admitted because there's an emergency room there. Yeah. And I didn't realize until probably, we probably were driving around to, we went to an urgent care, we went to the wrong Kaiser Clinic facility twice. I think, I think I was in the car for a solid three to four hours before we finally got to the right place. And by that time when I was admitted to the hospital, it had passed. Like I already knew. I remember walking into the emergency room door and I'm like, I think it's probably already over. Yeah. But it's good to know what it was because I still didn't know what was going on with me. Yeah. But I remember being in that car and just, there would be times I would turn to my boyfriend at the time and I'd say, you have to stop. Because I would, I remember we stopped and I literally got out onto the sidewalk and there was like a grassy knoll and I just like laid on the grass and was like face down on the grass, gripping the grass and retching (gasps) with how painful it was. Maybe I'm being dramatic, but I don't know. That shit hurt. Dude, no, no, no. Definitely, definitely. I mean, they gave my dad Vicodin, and then he took the Vicodin, and it made him sick. (laughs) I shouldn't be laughing. But he always always bitches about this. He's like, they gave me Vicodin. They didn't tell me how to take it. And then I was like throwing up for like four hours. After that, he threw it all in the toilet and flushed it down the toilet. I'm like, dude. (laughs) You should have thought that through. We could have sold that shit oh <laughs> for some good money. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't, don't sell drugs. I'm laughing because I've never taken Vicodin, but because of knowing that people will pay good money just yeah. to like have it as an opioid or whatever. It's an opioid, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I, that's what I thought too. I was like, oh man, Papa B, he's losing some cash there. Like you could have made a killing on that. 
call me first before you flush it down the toilet. No, no, no. So wrong, so wrong. Um, we do not condone the selling prescriptions. Absolutely not, absolutely not. No, no, no. So anyways, thanks for listening to my kidney stone story. But that's it on the cantharidin poison episode, also known as Spanish fly. And so we're going to finish this episode with making some cocktails and poison pals and follow along. All right, poison pals. So if you are at home and you have the following ingredients, you can follow along with us. All right. Are you ready? Okay. This is what I told Harini and her husband Dave earlier when I came in with these ingredients. And I was like, you know how when you look up a cocktail recipe online and sometimes it'll be like five stars and there'll be multiple versions of that recipe and all of them are five stars. If you Google search the Spanish fly cocktail online, I think there is only one recipe that is four stars. The rest are like one to two stars. And I looked at the four star recipe and I think I know why this cocktail is not popular because here are the ingredients. Are you ready, Harini? Yes. All right, in your Spanish fly cocktail, you're gonna have one ounce of tequila, Jose Cuervo Special, gold tequila, all right? One ounce of Kahlua coffee liqueur, (laughs) one ounce of Bacardi 151 rum, Jesus, (laughs) rich black coffee, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. When I saw that mixture, when I saw that mixture, liquor, yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, why, why is this part of it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just pulled out some whipped cream. My God. <laughs> of course, conveniently, Megan is not drinking this with us. <laughs> so what you're going to do, Harini? I feel bad. I'm like making Harini make it and drink it. <laughs> okay, here we go. So you're going to take the rim of your glass mm-hmm. and you're going to moisten it with the cherry juice or okay. water. If you're not into maraschino cherries, you can absolutely use water. So once you've moistened your rim of your glass with either cherry juice or water, you're going to dip that rim into a plate of coarse sugar. Coat heavily is what it says. Coat heavily. And I think that's important. <laughs> now, once you've done coating the rim of your glass with sugar, pour your one ounce of tequila and one ounce of coffee liqueur into the glass. This is the most nasty combo I've ever heard of. Poison pals, you can even do less. You don't have to do a full one ounce. If you just want to like sample it, it's going to be a one-to-one, I believe a one-to-one-to-one ratio. All right, I'm pouring in the Kahlua. If I'm not mistaken, this recipe calls for 151 rum, but I'm pretty sure they discontinued 151. They've discontinued it. So we only have regular rum, (laughs) which... The reason why they ask for 151 rum in this recipe is because you actually, you set it on fire and that's the oh. flaming part, the blistering part. Oh, got it, got it. We can still ch- attempt that if you want. <laughs> so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take our rum and we're just gonna float it on top of what you've already poured. Okay. So floating, I think just means don't stir it in, let it just kind of nestle on top. And you're going to, quote, carefully ignite the rum and swirl glass to lightly melt the sugar with the fly- with flame. <laughs> We're not doing that. Anyway, so you're supposed to light this on fire, let the fire go down, melt the sugar. Now, after you heat it, immediately pour coffee to extinguish the flames in the cup. Oh, mm-hmm. weird. Okay, I'll just do it anyways. Can't believe Megan bought all these ingredients. And they didn't give a certain amount of coffee. They didn't give a certain measurement for the coffee which to me reads as pour as much coffee as you want. Yeah. And then once you've poured your coffee, you can top it with whipped cream and your cherry. And that is the drink. And I think I'll probably go back to my place and try to do it with the flame to see yeah. if it actually impacts the flavor, which it, it might. This is the four star one though, right? This is the four star. Now okay. that's four out of five stars, mind that's you. Not, that's not bad. Mind you. All right, I'll put in the whipped cream on top. I don't know what the hell we just made. <laughs> All right, now Harini is Wait, we gotta take for sure of it first. You gotta put a cherry on it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And now Harini with the verdict. Okay, it honestly tastes like, mostly like Megan said, mostly coffee, and then you can really get some of that Kahlua, and then it goes down real nice with that uh, creamy, frothy whipped cream on top. Do you taste the whipped cream or rum at all? I don't know whipped cream, sorry, tequila or I don't rum. taste the tequila as much, I don't think. I taste a lot of the Kahlua and the chocolate. That's what throws me off, the tequila in there with everything else. Because I've heard rum and Kahlua, like, that makes sense to me. Honestly, I don't hate it. You don't hate it? It's not. Dave, can you try it? 
It's not bad, actually. It's not bad, right? Dang. Okay. Okay. All right. You heard it. You heard it here. <laughs> Poison Palace. Uh, maybe. <laughs> you heard it here, Poison Palace. That is your Spanish fly cocktail. We will put the recipe. I keep wanting to say ingredients. We will put the recipe with the ingredients on our Instagram and the podcast description. All right. Do we want this to just be our antidote? For yeah, day? I think this is going to be our antidote, guys. This was a very interesting way to end the episode. We hope you had fun playing along with us. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. So